Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. This is Chasing God, Not Chasing Joe. Um, I, I honestly, honest to goodness, I cringe every time somebody says give it up for or let's give a warm welcome to or all of those things. And I, don't know, I don't know who that guy was, but you should hire him and keep him. I just met him in the lobby this afternoon um, in all reality. No, um, I am somebody that um, likes to live life. Um, I don't like to watch life. Um, I, I believe that nobody should be having more fun on this planet than Christian people because this planet was created for people in a right relationship with God Almighty. And so people should look at the church, people should look at Christian people, and they should say, how do I get that in my life? How can I live that life? And I'm just going to tell you right now, it starts, it honest to God starts, and I mean that in the most appropriate way, Lord, it honest to God starts with you making a decision to chase God. And a lot of people will make a decision to go to church. They will. But when you begin to chase God, things change. I got saved in 1977. Most of you can't even do the math to get back to that date. But honestly, I got saved in 1977, and I started going to church, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to hell. This is great. And, and, but nothing. And then in 1979, I began to think, what if we actually read this thing and begin to believe that there's some things in there for us? And I began to press into God. I began to search out the concept of the word father because in my life, that word did not mean something wholesome and good. And that's as far as I'm going to go with that tonight, okay? Um, um, and, and, and so I began to do what, what basically is chasing God. It, it is. I thought, I, I need to stop going to church. And I didn't know I would end up in the ministry. That was not my goal. My goal was to end up with a 26-foot ski ray, um, a nice pickup truck to pull it. I was going to skip church on Sunday like most of you do during the summer. And I was going to go water skiing. I was going to go to Lake Cumberland. I was in Dayton, Ohio. And I had big plans for my life as I chased God. But listen, there are a lot of people going to church we need to get back to chasing God. How many of you enjoyed the little children coming in here? Did you enjoy the little children coming in here? All right. Now, listen, just be honest with me because I'm only here for tonight and then you don't have to put up with me anymore, okay? But just be honest with me. How many of you wanted a picture? <laughs> Sorry, I wanted a picture. You wanted a picture. You know why you wanted a picture? I was sitting right there and I said, Lord, why am I crying? Because these little children are handing out pictures and, and I am an artist myself and so it's meaningful to me. But it's like, I want a picture and no little child came over because my child didn't come tonight or something. I don't know, but um, here's the point. Here's the point. You wanted a picture because you're hungry. You wanted a picture because they told you that that picture represented something that God wanted to say to you, and you came in here on Friday night when you could be out to the movies with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your wife, your husband. Instead, you came here because you're hungry. You're hungry. Because people that chase God are hungry people. Uh, Our church is in a mall. 
Um, don't look down on us because of that, okay? We're not uptown, we're downtown, okay? We're not Indiana, we're Kentucky, okay? If the mall's empty, put a church in there. Just put a church in the mall, that'd be good. But inside of the mall, where our glass um, walls are, if you want to call them that, the storefront was we hung big, you know, theatric burgundy-colored curtains so you can't, like, see into um, the church. But on the wall, or on that glass, in great big giant letters for all the mall walkers, it's amazing to me, this is called Chasing God, it says, a real church with real people, because real people have real problems, real people are not perfect, but a real church, because it's not the building, chasing a real God. That's what it says. A real church for real people chasing God a real God. And it wasn't about three years after we got moved into that location that I got a phone call. <laughs> and this older lady said to me, she said, are you the pastor? I said, yes. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, fire away. And I thought, we're going to get her saved. She wanted to know why my church was chasing God when he came here to be found. And that's, that's not theologically correct, and I need to please get that off the glass because every time she walks past it, it bothers her. I said, well, okay. So let me tell you why it says that. Because we're chasing after what he wants us to do, because we're chasing after hearing from him, because we're chasing after other people that need to meet him, and we will continue to chase God. And if that offends you, please let me say I'm sorry. Just look the other way when you walk past. It's all gonna be good. It'll be okay. And I love that. As I come in here, the, the, the bottom line is Psalm 139. I think I got to share that last time I was up here. I share it every time I stand on the stage at home, and I'll share it with you right now. Psalm 139, written by King David himself, says, Every day ordained for me was written down in your book before even one of them came to pass. Now, somewhere in your life, you have to get a hold of that and decide that God has something to say to you today because what that scripture means is you have an appointment from God. You may have walked in here with some girl that you're trying to date, but the fact of the matter is God connived, cajoled, whatever else you want to, you know, cuh, and it got you into this room for this moment for such a time as this. And he brought you in here because he wants to say something to you. And it might have been through a song. It might have been through little children walking around making us cry. Or it might have been through the picture they gave you. Or it might be through this word. But I can promise you I know this with all of my heart because of where I've come from in the last 20, uh, 39, 20, 20, 30, 30, however many years it's been. I can't do math that fast anymore. I know that God wants to do something with hungry people. I know that for a fact, and if you're chasing after God, then I want to share this with you. <laughs> As we go into this scripture that I'm going to share with you in the book of Acts, chapter 21, specifically we're going to focus on chapter 27. But the idea is that we've come in here and we're chasing after God and we want to hear from God. And I'm one of those guys that when, when Pastor Steve called and said, hey, is there any chance you're available on such and such a day? I love you guys. I love coming up here and being with you guys. I love hanging out with you guys because I need God to speak to me. So all my way up here, I was in my car driving, not real fast, just driving the speed limit and stuff. And stuff. But um, and, and I came up and I was like, God, you need to speak to me. And I'm already 
hearing God speak to me and write these things down. But I was praying for you, and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this right here is what God wants me to share with you. And if you can believe that it is preordained, not that you know every step is, but that God had the foreknowledge to put you in this room, and you can choose to believe that he's got something to say to you, life can be different as you leave here than it was when you walked in. But that's totally up to you. It really is. All we do, the Lord told me one day, is set the table. We don't force people to eat. We don't. So I want to set the table for you right now. Fathers, we come before you. We just want to just want to say thank you. We want to thank you for little children. Ah, come on, Lord. We want to thank you for pictures. We want to thank you for a word. We want to thank you for song. We want to thank you for the congregation. We want to thank you for lifting up one voice. We want to thank you for the leaders. We want to thank you for your presence because we know neither height nor depth, nothing, Lord, nothing separates us, not just from your love, but from your presence. Where can we go to hide from the Lord? Nowhere. And so we know that you're here, and we know that your love is here, and we know that your love is for healing. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to manifest yourself here amongst us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the, the, the setup that I want to share with you going into Psalm 21 before I actually read it to you out loud is that Paul's been on a missionary journey. He's arrived back uh, into Jerusalem. He immediately goes and reports back to James uh, um, that he's back in town, and this is what the deal was as he was out and about, and he also you know, invite, or, or interacted with the other um, elders. And so I just want to lay this foundation as to what happened here, okay? <clears throat> the scripture says in uh, Acts 21, beginning of verse 17 when we arrived in Jerusalem that's how we know that he arrived back in Jerusalem because it says when he arrived back in Jerusalem there you go okay um, the brothers and that would be the disciples received us warmly the next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the uh, Gentiles through this ministry let me just flip this baby over here, and we will move on. So Paul goes from that point on. Let me just really summarize this and, and not, not you know, do anything horrible to it, but let me just summarize it for you, okay? So Paul goes and purifies himself um, at the temple and talks to the temple leaders because he has been out ministering to Gentiles. And as a fact, that since he's been uh, rubbing shoulders with Gentiles, probably eating with Gentiles, all these things, he needed to go through a time of purification. Don't take my word for that. Read your Bible in in the Old Testament part. He has to purify himself before he's allowed to go into church to worship and to share and to talk or just to, to learn. He has to do that. So he goes there and he tells them that this is the starting date of my purification and then what happens is seven days later he goes back to tell them it's over and uh, some guys step forward and they say, you know what this Paul is preaching? He's preaching against the God that we follow and he's saying things that we should not be being taught and, and all of a sudden it turns into just a, a you know, just a bad Friday night stayed at the bar too long brawl. Not that I would know. First of all, don't go to the bar that often at all, but all things being said, okay? Here's the deal. It was a riot. It turned into an absolute riot. And it got crazy all up in there. And as, as, a, as a, a right of his arguing, and they wanted to arrest him, and they wanted to do this to him, he, because he's a Roman citizen, said, I demand 
to be given the right, because they had the right to do this and if they were Roman citizens, I demand the right to speak my case before Caesar himself. See, Paul had desired for a long time to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Caesar himself in Rome, in the palace. Wouldn't that be great? Now, so often we pray to God to answer our prayers or to give us the things we want, but we never stop and think about how might God do that? And Paul, I don't know that he thought any more of it, but one thing that we know about Paul is it doesn't matter where he was. He wasn't, didn't appear to be, nobody wrote it down, complaining about his circumstance. He was always sending word out saying, you guys need to get together and you need to pray that I'll be more bold. You need to be praying that I'll get to start a Bible study in this prison. You need to be praying that I will get to do some baptisms in here. He never says, you people need to be praying that I can get out of here. So whenever he's in a situation, he is always looking to see what God is doing. And as a matter of fact, that's what turns out. It turns into that, and in the midst of all of the adventure, and and as you're at the end of the book of um, Acts, Paul is being shipped to Rome. In the midst of this adventure on the high seas, they take him down, they put him on a boat, the weather turns bad, they're sailing when they shouldn't be sailing, okay? We're past the different seasons for sailing past that uh, um, particular island and whatnot all, and as they're sailing, things get rough, things turn bad. Paul says, listen, I don't think we should do this because it's going to go south, you know, um, this is what's going to happen, and nobody will listen to him because he's just a, a, a little pitiful a criminal who's in chains. Too bad. Sit down. Be quiet. You're not important. And he says, okay. And he sits down and it gets bad. It gets bad. All right. So in the midst of this adventure on the high seas, weather turns. They get absolutely hammered. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a cruise on the cruise line's smallest boat. I was. I'm just going to, you just believe me, okay? As we were headed back into Charleston, the seas got really bad. My wife said, I told you so. We should not be on this cruise. And we were walking through, and people were losing their supper all over the ship. Why on earth do you people take cruises? Holy cow. I'm not trying to single-handedly destroy the cruise industry. I'm just saying there is a chance that's going to be part of your vacation. Oh, my word. Well, that's what they were doing. And... uh, They decided that what they needed to do was throw the cargo over in order to save the lives of 247 people that were on this ship, soldiers and prisoners combined. Paul has tried to warn them that God said this would happen, but as a prisoner, they ignore him. It's a bad nor'easter. You know what a nor'easter is? I'm from Maine. I know what a nor'easter is, okay? Yeah, I'm from down east. That's what they call Maine. It's up in the east, but they call themselves down east. That's a nor'easter. It was a bad nor. It was a violent night at sea, or actually a couple of weeks. And uh, when it comes down to where we're going to be right here, they ground their ship on a sandbar accidentally. The ship gets absolutely pounded by the surf coming in. That, in turn, has the Romans deciding that they're going to kill everybody. That's what's going to happen. That's how bad it was. We read that story like it was just part of their cruise. And it literally was that bad. Check this out. In Acts chapter 27, beginning of verse 39. Let me slip over there where it says this. When daylight came, 
They had been on the sea. It got bad. They're throwing everything over. Paul is inviting people to eat before they start throwing food over, but it's just bad. It says, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. Don't make that a pretty picture in your life. Just because they saw the bay with a sandy beach does not mean the sun was out. It was up, but it was not out. It was still going to be a violent day. It says, it was a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could, cutting loose the sea anchors. You know what a sea anchor is? Anybody know what a sea anchor? A sea anchor is a giant bag with a rope attached to a boat, and you throw it out into the, the ocean, and it slows the boat down. You can throw it from the bow. You can throw it from the stern. But that's what a sea anchor is, okay? And so they had thrown out these anchors. They wanted to run their ship aground on the beach. It says, cutting loose the anchors. They left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They locked the rudders down. Then they hoisted the foresail. Don't say foresail, okay? That's when you're getting rid of stuff. It's for sale, okay? If you're going to work on a boat, this is not foresail, it's foresail, okay? This is the foresail, all right? So they untied the rudders, then they hoisted the foresail to the wind, and then they made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar, ran aground, the bow stuck fast and would not move. The wind was clearly moving toward the beach, because that's which way the boat went, Okay? And the stern was being broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to, planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He, the centurion, ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Now, let me just, let me just remind you, Paul said this was coming. And Paul said if they let any of the prisoners get off that boat and try to get there themselves, they would all die. And so they got to a place where they, they dropped the foresail and the wind hits the foresail and drives that boat forward so fast that a ship carrying 240 lives rides up on the sandbar and cannot move. I don't know about the tide. I don't know about the current. What I know is that boat was stuck and yet the water was deep enough that as the storm, remember, it's raging. It's not a nice pretty day stuck on a sandbar. It's raging so bad that as the, as the water pounds into the back of that boat, it begins to disintegrate. So much so that the Roman, uh, the Roman soldiers, not just the centurion, the Roman soldiers decide they need to kill everybody. And you have to keep asking yourself when you're reading your Bible, why is that there? Because if any of the prisoners get away and the Roman centurions get back to Rome, the Roman soldiers, and they say, hey, five people got away, five Roman soldiers will have to give up their life and die. Or all the Roman soldiers will have to give up their lives and die because it's life for life. We put prisoners in your charge, and you let them get away, so you have to suffer their punishment. Nobody chases the prisoner, and that's where we are. We're in this place where things are just going south like a bad cruise. It's awful. And we're here talking about living on fire for God, not just a campfire. That's all good. We're talking about being on a, in a bonfire for God. And Paul was on fire for God. He was a living 
bonfire. Paul wasn't interested in growing the church. He was interested in seeing everybody in the world become the church. And he was not interested in staying in one place very long. He was going and going and going and going and talking to as many people as he possibly could, sharing, inviting, um, explaining. He was doing it. Holding prayer meetings, he was doing it. He was doing something in every situation that he was in. And I'm not saying you gotta grab a soapbox and put it on a street corner and stand up and everybody in here has to be a street corner preacher. I'm just saying that God has placed every one of you in a field somewhere so that you can interact with somebody somehow, some way. And if you are in here and you are terrified that you'll interact, interact with somebody and you'll do it wrong and they'll go to hell, I just wanna assure you that it is not possible because that was always my biggest fear being the pastor of the Vineyard Church in Richmond, Kentucky is what if I screw it up and suddenly I had a pastor who was not a vineyard pastor sit me down and say really you really think that you are so big that you can screw up the plan of God wow what a God you must be Joe and I was humiliated and I never met with him again no that's no he he was my friend and he can speak that way to me I just assure you, like I tell my congregation, when God asked me to plant the vineyard, he figured in my stupid, if I can say that. It's like, yeah, we'll use Joe. He doesn't have it all together, and he's going to make a really big faux pas right here. But when we get there, that's what we need. We need the faux pas to start a conversation about the faux pas where people are talking about Jesus because of something he screwed up, not something he got right. So if you really think that you trying to share your faith your passion for Jesus, your desire to chase God won't be perfect enough because you don't have a seminary degree or a Bible college degree or you're fooling yourself. Jesus often told people, now go tell them what I did for you. He didn't tell them to go to seminary. He didn't tell them to go to Bible college. He said, you just simply go tell them what I did for you. And that's what Paul did. He didn't care what it was that he would have to do, to do or say. He would do it and say it. Didn't matter if he was in a quiet meeting. Didn't matter if he was in a public square, in the palace, in the prison, in the presence of the Sanhedrin, in the presence of the super apostles, in the presence of public officials, on a ship, on an open and see on a beach far from home or in Rome in the court of Caesar himself he kept opening his mouth because he had to tell somebody that Jesus loves them they needed to know that he was a fire that had no desire to harness his tongue except to use it like a surgeon's scalpel let me tell you what God is doing. And for him, he was able to say, let's take the scriptures and reiterate it and tear it apart and dissect it. And if you're here and you know what the word means, let's exegete this thing. See, Paul could do that. But he could use his experiences just as well. In reality, Paul had no concern for himself. He simply loved Jesus and he loved his countrymen, so much that he said in his letter to the church in Rome, I'm preaching the gospel to the Gentile sinners in hopes that my people will become jealous. See, that's what he's doing. And so here we are, 
and he's there. They've thrown all the cargo overboard. They fought the seas. They fasted for 14 days. They finally had something to eat, and then they threw the corn overbread, or, I mean, overboard. All of the grain, as a matter of fact. And if you study Roman history, you would know, because my wife has a PhD in early American history that began with her studies of things going on in Rome during Christianity, the birth and the rise of Christianity, that corn, grain was gold. And it was gold because the morons were shipping sand in from Alexandria so that they could fight not just the Christians, don't make it that, but so that they could have these audacious, barbaric, immoral games going on in the Colosseum. And they couldn't keep the sand clean enough, so they had to ship um, sand in, um, in the ships going from Alexandria to Rome. So much so that if you study history, and I only know this because I had to lay in the bed next to her watching the 11 o'clock news while she's going, do you know what I just read? And I said, no, dear, what is it? Because I'm a very attentive husband. Why don't you tell me? Most of the time it was more like, could you hold that for a second? I really don't care. I'm not getting a PhD. You are. Um, but I listened. And she said, they shipped so much sand across uh, the Mediterranean Sea instead of grain that people were starving to death. And that's why throwing bread out at the games was such a big deal. See? And here we are with Paul, and they are throwing the grain into the ocean. And that grain was gold. Kill the prisoners. Keep the grain. You're going to make a killing, so to speak. So there it was. Believe it or not, everything was working out according to Paul's plan. What? He wanted to go to Rome to see Caesar. Imagine Paul bobbing up and down in the water with waves 5, 10, 15, 20 feet, pushing everything toward the beach and he's like yes we're getting closer to Rome and you and I are like save me Lord how could you do this to me Paul was chasing God that's why he didn't care he knew that if he was in a circumstance God already saw it coming and he never said get me out he said teach me the lesson let me learn let me grow how do I move forward the fact of the matter is, there was nothing all these people could do so that they, they had to swim to shore. But here's the deal. And this is the thing that caught my attention. And a couple of months, a couple of months, <laughs> he didn't ask me a couple of months ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was driving around thinking about this message saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do you want me to bring? And the, all I got, all I got was the word jump. That's all I got. And so I just began to pray on the word jump, the word jump, the word jump. And for no reason whatsoever, because I'm usually not the guy preaching in this particular passage of the scripture, I remembered, I thought it was Paul that said it, but it was the Roman centurion, that as the ship was being beat to death, as it was being destroyed, the Roman centuries, the Roman soldiers said, jump. Everything you're standing on is falling apart Everything that you desire, every place that you think you found security for a slight second, your money, your relationships, your politics, look around you people. They are falling apart. I don't care which party you're part of, and I'm not here to, to be a, a partisan person. I'm just here to tell you it is crumbling. And before you jump and go, yes, it's crumbling. Listen, it's crumbling. It doesn't matter. It's cr crumbling. And the centurion said, jump. For some people that are chasing after God, jumping is not a big deal. 
because we learned how to swim a long time ago when we jumped when we didn't know how to swim. But some of you are in here and you feel like your life is that ship and the waves and the circumstances and what's going on on television, in the national media, on social media, it's all crashing against the back of your boat and you're saying, what happened? I mean, how many days in a row does a Tao have to go down? Till people smile again because they're putting their trust in that number. And it's like, you gotta let it go. You gotta jump. And that's what was going on on that ship that day on that sandbar. The moment came when they had to jump. They had to jump. Jump's just a metaphor, but it means commit. It means no turning back. Because when you're moving forward, you can never go back to yesterday. It can't happen. It can't happen. Think about wherever it was you were born and came from. Back up five years in your life. Is it the same? Back up 10 years. Is it the same? Man, I keep going back and visiting places that I was raised all over the world. Not, I don't get to go all over the world, but in the United States, I was raised all over the world. But I, in the United States, I go back to places and it's not the same. It's not the same. It's like I wouldn't live here anymore. No way. I like Kentucky. I love Kentucky. It's like, wow, this is, this is good. And then I go back to where I pastored for 10 years. I was like, this is great. I loved it out there. I'm not sure I want to go back there. It's different. Things have changed. See, when you're jumping, you can't ever look back. That's what the Israelites did. They left Egypt, and when things got tough, they said, oh, we should go back. No. There's no going back, so much so that the Lord destroyed the boat on the sandbar. Sometimes the things crumbling out from underneath of us are actually the work of God. Now listen to me before you get extreme. When things get extreme, I do believe that God sees it and cares and it's not his plan. But I also believe that if you'll put that in his hand, not make it your identity, you will see amazing things be ha begin to happen as you move forward and stop looking backwards. I'm not saying we don't have to face things. I'm not saying we don't have to confront things. I'm not saying we don't have to deal with things. I'm just telling you Jesus is not behind you because that's not the direction you're going. We're moving forward. The Lord is ever moving forward. For every one of us, there comes a time when at some point in our life we have to jump. Greatest metaphor for me was in 2017, um, I, I got to go to Zambezi, I mean to uh, Zimbabwe, and stand on, over the Zambezi River um, at Victoria Falls. It's absolutely glorious. Wow. And they have this station that sticks off the bridge. It's 400 and some feet off the water. The bungee cords are 365 feet long. That's what they stretch out to with a 240-pound man attached to them. And I stood there with those things attached to my feet and I looked down at that river down there that was just a wee little river. Wee little. 36 stories down. Let's do it that way. And they said, Mr. Wood, we're going to push you. And I said, don't touch me. <laughs> don't touch me. I will do this myself. And they have your feet tied together this way so I... 
hopped up to the edge. And they said, curl your toes over the edge. And I curled my toes over the edge. And I just jumped out into nothing. My wife watched the video in, back in the States and almost passed out. <laughs> and, and, and you just go. And I, I just share that with you to tell you that that has always been my life, especially in my relationship to Jesus Christ and what he's called me to do. I told you before, being a pastor was never on my list of things to do because let's just be honest without anybody looking that way. We know how you are with pastors, okay? Us pastors are not dumb. Sometimes you go home and you're like, what was he thinking? You know, we, we get it. So I really never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to have fun. <laughs> that didn't come out right, but you guys can fix it. Have the guy come in tomorrow fix it, okay? <laughs> but I have been that guy that when Jesus says, I want you to walk up here and jump, it literally is as I'm jumping that we say, how high? When the Lord said, go into the ministry, I was running a construction company, my own little one out of my own house, myself. I was making $45 an hour back in 1986. So that's pretty significant. That's $90,000 a year working on military base, doing um, private subcontracting. And, and it was starting to build. And the, the Lord came and said, I want you to go into the ministry. And I said, doesn't sound like fun. Um, and he said, yeah, well, what about that? And so I just blew him off for two years. And he has a way of like letting the storm pound on the back of your boat. And I lost a father-in-law in that time period. My wife became pregnant with twins, and we thought we were going to lose them. It was bad. Everybody was in the hospital. And, and the Lord said, I want you to go into the ministry. And I said, I got you, bud. I'm there. Where do you want me to go next? And not really. I ended up in a Bible college in central Ohio and enjoyed it, but I jumped, and here's the deal. Um, by the time I started Bible college, I had, uh, had a wife and I had five children. I had a home that we owned. I had a mortgage. I had utility payments. I had things. I had $2,500 in the bank, which was pretty significant back in the day. You know, it would have lasted you know, a couple of weeks anyway. And so um, we were there, and it's like, what are we going to do? And I just want you to know that that $2,500 lasted two years, and I don't know how. I cannot tell you how I got through Bible college, but I know Bible college was paid for. It, it just got, my church, the one I got saved in, they're just like, we can only support you for one term. And it's like, I'm not asking you to support me. They said, well, we're going to anyway. And so they said, we're going to support you for one semester. That's it. That's all we're going to do. And it's like, okay, that's fine. That's great. Thank you, Lord. Beyond that, I met strangers that just walked up. Strangers, abject, absolute strangers from Wisconsin. One of them was from, I didn't, and I was in Ohio, and it's like, who are these people? And they just walked up and said, um, we understand you're going to Bible college. And I said, well, yeah. And they said, oh, what are your plans? I said, well, I, I think the Lord wants me to be a pastor. And they said, here, we want you to have this. And like, you know, uh, just put a lot of money in my hand. I'm not sharing that with you so that you can say, I'm going into ministry now because they get a lot of money <laughs> shoved in their hands, okay? Because I assure you that's not all the, you know, always the case, okay? I'm just telling, I, I, I want to share this with you. If God is asking you to do it, then God will pay the way through it, okay? Not the way that you want him to. What? Yeah, not the way you want him to. You just have to let God do it. He's not going to put you on the carnival cruise and ship you over to Rome and then you get off and you walk in like you're all somebody. 
<laughs> he's going to put you on that measly little boat where everybody's throwing up and hurling and you're gross and hiding in your cabin because you're not walking in that stuff. And it was that bad. Okay, I always find the dead guy. I always find the dead guy too. Both cruises. Both times I find the dead guy and it's like, I'm not going on a cruise anymore. Okay? <laughs> so there's that. Okay, but that being said, sometimes that's how you get to Rome. And some of you are in here saying, I can relate to that just a little too well. I get it. And so I just want to share that with you. I gave my life to God, and then the time came when I decided that if I really wanted to fall in love and chase after God, I had to give him my best yes. I just had to say yes. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it takes years to get the yes out of me. But it never fails that 100% of the time when I say yes, something amazing and miraculous happens, even if it's just I sleep through the whole night. Even that. God wrecked my life and put it back together in a manner that I could never have dreamed in, uh, dreamed of. And John 10 send, says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and everybody camps on that. You know, the shepherd, the good shepherd. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the scripture says, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I keep telling people, I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. That is not where I am. I will not stand there, but I have learned that God is my father. Father, and I have the right to walk into the throne room anytime I have a need, anytime I need help. This is going to stay with me at any time I have a want. You can ask God. You just have to let no be an, accept, an acceptable answer and then walk back out. But I have seen my life come back together, and I just want you to know that that word in the Greek is parisos, and I want you to grab a hold of it. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to look it up. I want you to absolutely grab a hold of it and let it wreck your life. Parisos. God wants you to have an abundant life. Parisos. And this is what it means, okay? It means over and above. It means superfluous. And these are all, I'm not going to put them up there, but these are all different passages from your New Testament. It means over and above. It means superfluous. It means extraordinary. It is compared to the word greater. It means excessive. It means in full abundance. It means exceedingly, and here it comes, vehemently that, that word vehemently is where we get our word violent, okay? Vehemently, more than around you, preeminent and advantage. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have a life where you get to go to Zimbabwe and jump off the bridge. I've come that you might have a life where you get to go on your 25th wedding anniversary to Australia because I'll tell you right now, if it weren't for Jesus Christ and my wife, I would have been buried and been in hell a long time ago. A long time ago, because that's the track I was on. But I began to do something really silly, like chase after God. And as you chase after God, you peel everything apart that is not chasing after God. You get rid of the relationship. That's the first thing I had to do. I was in a relationship with a young lady, and she was not chasing after God, and she wanted to know why I kept going to church. And church wanted to know why I kept going back to her house. And the Lord said, you start right there. No safety net. Abundantly in the kingdom of God does not mean poor, downtrodden, doormat, or lonely. It does not mean any of those things. It means you're willing to sacrifice. It means you're willing to give it all up. It means it can happen. 
God is still asking for everything that you have because it's in your heart. And all he wants is your heart, and that's everything. And the question is, are you willing to give your heart to God? We sing, God, you can have it all, Lord. We sing that and sing it, but we don't mean it. We don't mean our 401K. When we planted the Vineyard Church, my wife and I took our 401K and chucked it right in there and said, this is how we're going to launch the church. Then one of our other members came and said, well, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Wow, he wasn't chasing God that fast back then. Then he was chasing God because he needed the lights to stay on. No, um, but seriously. People think that God doesn't ask that anymore, and he does. You know, you're 65, 70 years old in here, and you're like, yeah, well, God can't ask me to go into ministry. Why not? You said you can have it all, Lord. Why can't he ask you at that age to start your second career and go into the ministry? Why can't you retire and then give your time to the church? Why can't you begin a small group? Why can't you join the small group program and have people into your house and begin to share just your story? When does God get it all? When you jump. The prayer is that he doesn't have to ground you on a sandbar and beat the back of your boat crazy. Because it's easier if you just do it when he says jump. It really is. Paul trusted God, period. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Not always easy, but straight. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do not read the second part without owning the first part. We don't often delight ourselves in the Lord when our favorite TV show comes on, when that questionable movie is out. We don't, we don't delight ourselves in the Lord. We watch it anyway. We don't have to suddenly, you know, become aliens necessarily, but at the same time, there should be something different about us on this planet. God will change the desire of your heart. Don't be afraid to make the big ask of God. Got to be careful to alliterate that. Okay, we're doing Nehemiah right now, and it's all about the big ask at my church so there it is because I believe that God wants you to dream big and believe and believe but in believing you've got to put all of your faith on it and move forward and it starts with your relationship to church Paul trusted God period secondly conventional wisdom will not accomplish the will of God won't happen Will not sooner or later you're going to hit a rock and it's going to require faith because without faith it is impossible to please God what he's doing he is doing through faith. Proverbs 12 says, the way, in the way of righteousness there is life, along the path is immortality. Proverbs 12 says there is a way that appears right, excuse me, Proverbs 14 says there's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. At the end of the day, it won't matter how big your title was at, at your company you work for. It will not matter how much money is in your bank or in your 401k. And listen to me, I've seen people die tomorrow. I've seen people wake up and not be on the earth anymore. I've been there before. What will you say to Jesus then when he said, all I wanted was everything? I just asked you to fund, to support, to give sacrificially. Let's get away from money for a second. To go into ministry, to reach out. Shoot, all he asked you to do was invite somebody to church. And in most churches in America today, he can't get people to do that. And I want to encourage you that he is in you. And he will do it through you. But you've got to give him a yes. 
The scripture says, the world will do everything it can to not follow God. So don't trust it. Don't trust it for advice. Don't trust it for your morality. I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of Christianity being turned into sexual immorality is not that important to God anymore. It's okay for us to live together. And if you're in here and that's your situation, I'm not throwing rocks at you. I'm just telling you that that is not God's plan for your life. But that's what I'm hearing from college students over and over again. They get raised up in, in campus ministries and they graduate and they don't get married. They just move in together, buy a house together, and then four years later come back and say, hey, will you marry us? And then we have to sit down and discuss. We can't ask God's blessing on this relationship as long as it's going on the way it's going on. We do it's God's way if we want God's favor Psalm 2 says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break off these chains and throw off their shackles. And that's what you're seeing. When God is at work, the storms of the world don't matter. So let me share this with you. Some of you here are looking for God and wondering where he is. I hope you came in here and you were hungry to say, God, I don't care what you do, but do something in my life. Because my, my personal theological belief is when God spanks my bottom and it hurts so much, I jump up and down and I'm like, yes, he's still talking to me. <laughs> it might hurt for a season, but if I let him correct me, it's going to be okay. But he's asked you to jump, and you're not sure you can do it. You're not sure. This is the biggest deal. You're not sure you want to do it. And your want isn't necessarily what's being questioned. What he wants from you. I came to understand personal belief. I don't think it's a contractual thing with God. But I do believe it's foolish of me to ask something of God that I won't give to God. God, I want you to do something so big. And God's like, great, I want you to turn off Netflix, get off the couch, and go to your neighbor. That's too big, God. See, we want God to do big things, but we don't think God has the right to ask us to do big things, to make big sacrifices, especially, forgive me for beating this drum, financial, especially that. And I'm, I'm not getting paid extra, just telling you, okay? I'm a pastor of a church. And I have seen in my own personal life what it means to take God at his word, act accordingly, and leave the results in his hands. And amazing things begin to happen. So if you're here, and you're still trying to figure it out, and you need a word from God, and you know Jesus, here's your word. Sell it. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Sell it. That's how the church grew in Acts chapter 2. Sell it. I don't know what he wants you to sell. I don't know what you're, you're dealing with. I don't know what it is, but sell it. Some of you are standing on the back of a ship called life, and the circumstances are absolutely crushing you. Take a step forward, because Jesus is not behind you. He's leading you. Take the step. And some of you are throwing everything you can in your life. You're just pitching it out, trying to make yourself holy, trying to solve the problem yourself. And I want to encourage you to surrender to what God has done in bringing you here today. Jump.
Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.